I was not expecting him to die, um, but he did. Uh, and Pucci, I mean, you know, rest in power, Pucci. I think there's much more richness in understanding and reading the spaces that, that you're surrounded by, not necessarily adding to it, but to be in flow with it. Hello. Hi. 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 My name is Arif, and I'm here with my co-host Andrea. Hi, Arif. And Bruno. Hi, Arif. Bruno Zu. Welcome to Studio, the Ya 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 Ne 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 podcast. You're listening to one of our episodes in which we speak to artists about their curatorial practices and the platforms they initiate. For this episode, we brought our recording studio to Fanfare in Amsterdam. So Fanfare, which is in the Behane Grond of this uh, <laughs> of this building, is uh, a platform that organizes all sorts of experimental lectures, shows, conversations, research, workshops um, around an expanded view on, of design. And we are in the exact opposite end of the of the building, so we are in like the highest point of the building. That is the Tetero de building which is a quite special spot because Teterode was once printing, like a printing company, and then it became squatted in 1992. And since then, a, a large group of artists have uh, lived and worked here. So, yeah, this is where we are. We have a crazy view of the city of Amsterdam. Yeah, Bruno, uh, thanks again for joining us. Hello. Hello. Um, I'll quickly introduce you. So you're an artist living and working between Amsterdam and Viseu, um, ranging from fashion design, publishing and scenography. Your practice is preoccupied with fiction and its manifestations. Your work was recently shown at What Pipeline in Detroit, Cordova in Barcelona and Halle für Kunst Steiermark in Graz. You're a member of Amayor, a curatorial program set in a home furnishings and clothing store in Viseu in Portugal. And um, we invite you today uh, also to talk about Amayor. Mm -hmm. And we ask you to bring something. Mm -hmm. And um, I am now at our table. I'm looking at a green wooden picture frame. Yes, this is a framed photo of um, Dido or Dido, depending on the spelling. Dido is the cat of Casper Bosmans. And um, Dido participated in a group exhibition with fellow um, animal friends um, in the summer of 2021, I think. Yeah. It was a show slated to be set up in the Valentine on Valentine's Day of that year. But um, uh, we had a harsh lockdown that month because of the corona. And um, we pushed the show to be later in the year. So yeah, this is a very candid photo of Dito uh, looking at a candle, I think. Uh, sort of curious. Yeah. Um, I have actually seen that show. Um, I can talk about my experience at Amayor in a bit, but maybe you can give us a little bit of context. So what does it mean that there was a show um, and what is, what is Amayor exactly? 
MIR is uh, my parents' business. Uh, it's a shop, um, very similar to Action. If you're uh, living in the Netherlands, you probably know this chain. So we, we sell mostly home goods, uh, clothing, pretty much anything really, uh, from DIY stuff also, personal hygiene. Um, the only thing we don't sell is food. We do sell candy, uh, but we don't sell food. <laughs> Um, although my dad is thinking about expanding it to a buffet restaurant, which is whatever, that's another conversation. Um, so we started doing exhibitions in 2016, at the end of 2016, and it was a follow-up of a project I did with my mother the year before. Uh, it was my first solo institutional show in Portugal in 2015. I invited my mother to curate it. And it was just a very rich and complicated uh, experience that I wanted to continue and see where it would go. So I looked at her working environment. Um, the shop is a place where both my parents spend every day making it look pretty and tidying it up. Um, and I just thought that would just be a very parallel relationship to uh, an artistic aesthetic experience anyway. So um, kind of just it kind of was organic to think about creating exhibitions in that context. And then the program quickly, it quickly emerged um, as a constellation of solo exhibitions and group exhibitions. Overall, the aesthetic of it is kind of conventional. We sort of follow a very institutional schedule. So every show lasts for roughly eight to 10 weeks. Um, I think lately I've been very interested in sort of following the seasons of the year because it's something that the shop itself follows. So, you know, we have Christmas or we have Valentine's Day, we have uh, summer sales and, you know, new season, like new fall season stuff. So I think there's like, um, a, very, like a very big and urgent interest in matching it up with the time of the shop. And yeah, so that's how somehow the, the show is. And I think like to me, um, it started from an innocent, like very innocent position of just wanting to continue my project with my mother, but obviously doing this in a place that is semi-public uh, opened up immediately conversations and relationships with the art object that um, it was out of my control. And I think MIR as a curatorial program is defined by these um, encounters that are provoked by each project that an artist wants to do or an artwork they want to bring because our primary audience is the customer themselves. So it's not an art-informed, inf- art art-literate person, and everything's a surprise all the time. Yeah, I went there in uh, that summer in 21, and we knew that the shop was going to close at 7, and we were driving, and I think we were stuck in a traffic jam, and it was like the last possible day to pass by. So at some point we were we had to speed in, <laughs> in the kind of, well, not highway, I think a highway actually to Vizio. And then we arrived just at like two to seven. And um, I think the last customers were kind of like paying and we were running in. And I think your father was working and he was like, no, no, we're closing. I was like, no, no, we want to see the show. And um, it was very, very sweet because they switched on everything for us and we could see the installation works, but also there were some video pieces. And of course, the the piece that we're looking at now, the uh, photo of Dido or Dido, was also on view and that was in one of the shop windows outside so there was a collection of um it must be more than 20 picture frames yeah so this show um i think it was maybe roughly 30 animal friends um 
Oh, it was conceived around um, my friend Lucy Chinnan's Chihuahua dog who had, well, I was not expecting him to die, um, but he did. Uh, and Poochie, I mean, you know, rest in power, Poochie. Um, he did die, I think, earlier that year. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been coated with this sense of, like, in memoriam. But um, so Poochie died, and um, I was thinking about a show around Poochie. And then uh, my friend Amalia Ullman also has Olga, her lifelong cast. So I, I definitely wanted to, to invite these two animal friends to do something. And then it's just sort of like the relationship, like these relations between thinking, the relationship between friends who have animal friends um, kind of just kind of grew. It, it sort of just, it was very sprawling and... And suddenly, yeah, I, I thought about my my friend Marta's, who also had a show at the store um, before. Uh, Marta has a, a tortoise. I mean, I never know really what's the difference between a tortoise and a turtle. But um, so she had a tortoise. I mean, she told me many times. I I'm really, I'm really, I also don't know. I'm really bad, and I you know has a representative of someone who you know hosted this show. I should really know animal species properly. Well, if you're listening now and you know the difference, you can send us a message. Yeah, so comment below or something. And um, so anyway, Nico. Uh, then I thought about Nico, obviously, and then um, uh, and then like. Yeah, I mean, Osgur Carr, who's actually based in Amsterdam, has a dog called Questo with Sabo. And these just things just kind of like popped up, you know, like, oh, I suddenly started thinking, oh, there's so many people have like animals around my, uh, people in my life that have animals um, and animal friends. Um, yeah, and then yeah, I think, I think the year before that, I had met Eleni Polu, who um, carries a, carries around a stuffed rabbit, Gunter, and Gunter is some someone who's very dear to her. And then I thought also, no, Gunter obviously has to be in the show. It can be controversial because he's inanimate, I guess, but it's at the same time, I don't know. I just um, you know, for Eleni, someone who's very real, and um, so if she if it's real for her, it's real for us. Um, yeah, I think so. That that show. Um, It's called the Morse Perfect, which is, um, I mean, it's a literal translation of that would mean perfect loves, but it's the name of a flower. Um, it is a very common flower. It's just the Portuguese name of it. I think it's, uh, it's not a daisy. No, it's not a daisy. Um, it's not also, it's not a violet either, but it's one of these sort of like small flowers that you kind of find um, uh, e easily in gardens. Um, Because again, the literal translation of the of the name in Portuguese means meaning perfect loves. I thought this would be a very fun um, linguistic bridge to bring to bring everyone together. And I think the show you saw, the video show you saw, it probably was Amber's show, the the talking potato. Yes, it was. Yeah, um, that was uh, Amber Hadjiai, who's um, well, he's a Renaissance man. He does everything: DJ, graphic designer, artist, whatever. And he was. Uh, recording himself um, reading uh, German poems uh, with his potato filter, uh, which are I, which I just thought it was lovely to have, um, and it kind of came about just asking him to send a bunch of them over and upload them to this TV set that um uh, that I have at the store, which belongs to my parents and it's like 20 years old and right I think it's this large pre uh, LCD. Um, television's really big. It's like a Sony Mega Triniton, whatever. It's like huge. Um, so yeah, that was like a talking potato. Yeah, I think right next to it there was also kind of um, a train of mm. um, 
like partying cutouts. Yeah, that was that's like a train I uh, made. Oh, I think this was made maybe the year before. Um, this that that was my attempt at a public program at the store. Um, we made this train, and for something that we that we called caras e corações, meaning faces and hearts. It's like I, I think this. I'm sure there's like a Dutch version of this proverb, but the Portuguese proverb says something like, you know, whoever sees faces doesn't see hearts. So something about superficiality. It's this like Portuguese proverb. Quem vê caras não vê corações. Um, yeah, so I just thought it was really funny because Caras is also a name of a magazine in, Port in Portugal. It's like, I think, well, are you from Spain? Yeah. Sorry, I'm talking to Andrea. So Andrea's from Spain, so she probably knows Ola. Yeah. So Caras is the Portuguese version of Ola. Oh, wow. It's called Caras. Yes. But Caras is faces, no? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I thought it would be obviously so funny then to like cut out literally people from a magazine called faces and then paired it with like hearts images of surgical human hearts um so these trains that you see each carriage has a bunch of portuguese celebrities um from telenovelas and um, from the soccer world um and then next to just hearts you know images of hearts taken in this in in an operation table um yeah so that train was made and then our staff member along at the time uh who's not there with us for now um it's been a while he dragged he dragged the train at at the store i mean that's i instructed him to just like push it because i needed to film it and he was pushing the train at the store um with some customers looking at it uh we filmed it and then we edited the video where the video is available on our website Uh, on the in the video, I asked my my sister to sing the Portuguese national anthem in Chinese. Um, so that's the final result. Um, uh, that was like a 10 minute event of watching a train being dragged. Uh, this is a cardboard train made of um, shoe boxes, and then the documentation is a video of said train with the Portuguese national anthem sang in Chinese. Great. We'll put we'll put a link. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the website, which is on Tumblr, which I think is so cool. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I um, it's something that I've been very resistant in moving away uh, or even buying a domain for it. And this is largely inspired by um, uh, Lulu uh, in Mexico City. I mean, uh, Lulu is. Uh, I think now I don't know what it is anymore because it kind of became commercial. But Lulu was started by a curator called Chris Sharp. Um, and I remember when I first came across with Lulu in Mexico, it was on Tumblr. It was using the plain theme, which is the most common Tumblr theme. And I was really struck by it. I was like, but what is this? And so, because I think their first show, one of their earlier shows was a, was a Johan Lempert show. And then I, I was so confused looking at this thing called Lulu that's in Mexico, but it's also on Tumblr and has a show of with this mid-career artist called Yo and Lip. You know, it's like, I just love that, um, this like weird aesthetic. And, um, and it, it is definitely one of the inspiring things that at least keeps me still hosted on Tumblr. Um, what's also on the website is uh, there's an archive and then there's uh, the current uh, show. I think there's something about six feet under, uh, Yes. Um, so I think last year, uh, so we do, so our program has solo exhibitions where I invite artists to respond, but not necessarily respond to the shop has, um, has a site specific thing, but just to kind of, you know, I do think that the shop has, um, has unique conditions that can challenge their practice, but I also always try to 
make everyone understand that the, you know let's understand the shop has a gallery space rather than looking at it as a place to intervene or activate i mean it's like it's a it's a place that's activated every day from nine to seven so it's like you know we don't need an added activation and um so that's that on the solo shows the group shows are things i haven't done a group i mean um, this amor perfect show with uh with our animal friends was probably the last group show i did or have i done i mean i haven't like anyway so it's just the group shows are more personal where i do arrange and get people together and then we do things like the train and um six feet under and six feet under is the follow-up of mother family this is a mural uh, a, a photo mural of the cast of that series um it's the second of the series of murals the first one was modern family this was last summer or last fall i think it was last fall so it was definitely after you visited um where i thought it would be funny to just have the cast of a sitcom which is um um focus on families being plastered onto a family business um and the show is called modern family um so i just thought it'd be very funny to have modern family on top of a family business and um it's cute um so i think the photo i used at the time was uh the cast from the second season meaning the kids are still very children-y like they were kids um i didn't i think i stopped watching modern family from season four or season five um and then yeah i just always thought well the follow-up would be what is the next family on top of it you know and uh six feet under was something that it, it marked my childhood it was the first moment i think on tv that i saw um homosexuality being portrayed in a very three-dimensional form and uh also in a drama i think i think before that i've always seen just you know homosexual characters in comedies being you know the butt end of a joke or something so it was it was very informative to me to come across with uh, six feet under and it's something that i still think a lot about especially the series finale with sia the sia song and claire driving away and um uh yeah so i thought like this could be obviously you know the next family to be you know uh, invited to be at the store so we've added a photo mural uh, again with a photo of the cast and i think this is a promo shot from maybe season three or four because brenda is in it and also yeah i think it's maybe season three or four um uh, well i know it's something that i just found on google and then um printed it um and it's on top of modern family so you can still see modern family through the cutouts then because because the photo of, of six feet under is the cast jumping and then uh, jumping in a hill and there's like skies and cloud there's the sky with the clouds so I, I cut out a few a few elements that you can still then you still see the modern family behind it um yeah the cast of modern family behind it yeah and um yeah that's that's uh, six feet under yeah i was thinking um it's quite interesting what you mentioned before like that you don't like the word activation no that like it's like obviously it's a shop it's fully activated and i was wondering how do you work with the with the artist or how what is this process of working with the artist and like what are their conversations that are behind the scenes somehow where you discuss this Like, is this an activation? Is this an intervention? Or how is this? I think this is where I guess I, you know, I jump in um, 
uh, not that I, I, I think I, I jump in as an artistic director a bit because like, um, I think for anyone who's interested, what I invite them, I invite them because of their, pra of their current practice. Um, I don't invite them because I want them to create something exclusively unique um, uh, or a gesture that they, they, they wouldn't see in their own practice um, currently. Um, of course, like, you know, it's, it's a new project and, uh, and the shop has very uh, specific, um, uh, space to, to engage with things because for example, we don't have, um, uh, someone who to take care of the pieces, let's say. So everyone knows that everything's vulnerable that they show. Um, so in a way I, I am inviting them to think about something unique for the store, but not necessarily unique enough to think about the store as a place for them to activate as artists, you know? So it's more of like, um, I think it's more of a, ment a mental and ideological thing. I'm, I think I'm not interested in artists who think that they kind of carry, you know, a practice that, that somehow, that somehow, somehow is truthful. And then you somehow activate anything that is inanimate, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty um, arrogant also, I think, you know, I mean, I think there's much more richness in understanding and reading the spaces that, that you're surrounded by, not necessarily adding to it, but to be in flow with it. And that's, I think that's maybe what I mean by um, being resistant to activation as a word. I've had artists who, um, in their way of thinking about the store, they kind of feel stuck about, you know, um, the possibility of, for example, entering a language of merchandise like thinking about oh my god i have to make merch no you're not you don't have to make merch we're not supposed to sell anything for you unless unless you convince us that that's necessarily you know um like a position that it that that makes the work interesting not necessarily the shop interesting you know um so we've had conversations like that and and you know we found ways to, to understand that that's not that's not the direction to go i mean um i'm in, in that sense, I'm much more interested in having artists to re-understand form and aesthetic through it rather than thinking about a way to manipulate commercial language or something. Um, so, um, I mean, every conversation with the, every conversation is singular because um, I've, I've invited people that work with multiple mediums and um, and yeah, and like lately I think also been I've also been also a bit more focused with my requests, um, but also it's just because um, I don't have enough time right now to uh, to dedicate to the project, but then trying to keep it regular. For example, this year has been functioning mostly in commissions. Like for our Valentine's Day this year, I asked um, Amelia Wang, she's an artist and um, an aspiring astrologer, to uh, do a horoscope of love for our Valentine's Day as a show. Um, so, you know, there, uh, there are requests lately more pointed than before, although I, I'm really proud of all the shows that we've done so far. I think the final results are, um, uh, are things that really sit in the, in this gray area between, uh, an op and a foreign object at the store, but at the same time, something that for many of our customers, they just think that's part of the display also. So they don't really question it, you know, unless it stops from them to access a product a few like one of our early shows we had a, uh, a dress by an artist called yan yan um yan yan yuang who uh it was 
she's a painter and she's she she usually prints uh, she has printed a few of her paintings into fabric and she makes dresses out of them so for her to wear we had one of those dresses on display and we had customers really angry at that press not being available because uh, they were asking why you're showing something that you're not going to sell and that was very fun uh, and because these are are you know regular customers and um yeah they uh, so these are the type of reactions again you know this doesn't come from activating anything at the store because the shop itself is activated already you know we're just introducing foreign objects to it and 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 coexist with you know the language that is already existing There are also some objects that, I mean, so as I was walking into it, I was indeed trying to kind of find the works, let's say. Um, some are very subtle. For example, there is a, a work that was mostly kind of smaller lines, uh, I think non-slip material. Maybe. Yeah, that's Marta Heckness. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like a kind of, yeah, geometrical installation, I would say. It's like a, a sticker on the floor, basically. Mm -hmm. I also noticed... Um, two works on the website that I think I didn't see when I was there, or maybe I didn't notice, um, that are addressed at, I think, employees there. There's uh, a number of stars, and mm -hmm. there's, for example, Fabio's star, um, mm -hmm. and then there are also cookie jars, and, mm -hmm. uh, for example, I think Fabio's candy jar. And then mm -hmm. I was wondering, um, also in terms of who is being addressed um, about these works. Right. So... Um The Star Show and the Cookie Jar Show, they are, um, they were um, Christmas shows. So every every year we do Christmas shows. Um, so again, within the format of a group store, a group show, um, I get, I just, uh, I ask the staff members for feedback about, uh, about what they can, uh, how they can contribute to the show. I mean, it's a very basic question. Like it's, it's not that I'm asking them to create work and, you know, I just sort of think of a, of a very loose concept for that specific Christmas show. So for the cookie jar, it was because I noticed that they snack a lot and they still snack a lot. They, at the time, not anymore. I think they just moved the drawer. At the time they had a drawer full of like, um, biscuits, uh, by the cash point. And I think now they moved it to a different place. So I cannot see it anymore. So I just know they snack a lot and they always eating and that's fine. You know, eating is okay. Um, uh, during work, it's fine. <laughs> and my dad also doesn't say anything. It's fine. So I just thought that for that year to do a cookie jar show, because I think also, I had also seen this like Chloe Kardashian OCD video of her organizing her kitchen and And uh, she has like this very graphic way of organizing her cookie jars. Um, so I just thought, why not? Let's just make cookie jars like Chloe. And then um, asking them, what do they like to eat biscuit wise? So I just bought a bunch of biscuits that each employee likes and then filled them in um, these jars. Um, after after Christmas show, that was taken uh, away. But um, I think because Along had, was in China for a holiday and then he came back around Christmas and he ate the cookies thing. And I'm not, this is not a joke. I mean, he was, he was, we were telling him not to eat it, but I think he just didn't care. He was eating it. Um, so, but he didn't eat all, he didn't eat them all. I think they all just like, you know, took him home after. Uh, the, the star show was the Christmas show of last year. So it was definitely after you visited. Um, again, he's just thinking about a motif for Christmas and a star is just like, you know, a very, it's, it's a very popular motif for the season. And I thought about why not a star for each employee? Um, and I just asked each person to kind of say what color do they like. I chose the metallic color. They chose the matte uh, color. I paired them up and then asked them to just choose a location uh, in the store that they usually work in. 
So Fabio's star is mostly in the middle aisles. Um, Eliana's around is by the footwear stuff. Um, um, Tanya's is by the clothing. And then Sophia's is by this kind of haberdashery and craft stuff. That's the areas that they kind of like hang out most. Um, yeah, and that that the star show is something that still is on. Let's say I mean there's a lot of shows uh, that we've done in the past few in the past that they can linger on um, because um, I mean I also ask the artists if it's okay to leave some of the artworks there and they're happy to do it. So um, over the years, if you visit the store to see the shows, you you see like like you did. I mean of, kind of residues of previous shows and they cannot all amount. Uh, into this, you know, into this archive of of exhibitions um, and uh, displays uh, that the shop is already originally itself an archive of that. Um, yeah, and then this year, uh, this year's uh, Christmas show will be Angels. Yeah, Angels. Yeah. Wow. Which I have already made. Uh, it's already on, actually. Uh, but it's uh, just because I was running out of time this um, this period, so I had to make them really early. It was the same with the stars. I made the stars in September, and I remember uh, like a customer was passing by, and I was asking one of the staff members what's going on. And the staff member was saying that, uh, well, the, the boss's son can't come closer to, to Christmas time to make them, so he's making the Christmas show now. <laughs> and it was a very weird conversation. I think the customer was so confused. Um, but yeah. Uh, that was really funny too. But actually the Christmas Christmas preparations and Christmas decoration in every city start super early. Like right now in Amsterdam, you see Christmas lights. So it's not so weird, no? Yeah, I guess. No, for sure. I mean, I I, I know that, um, yeah, Christmas lights, they just start immediately after Halloween, right? Um, <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, making these stars or now making these angels who are like these, I've made these like cardboard angels, which are quite massive. And they're already, you know, in on display, kind of just looks a bit odd. And I did them in September. So <laughs> um, uh, just because I didn't have enough time now uh, to do them. So I'm, I won't be, I mean, I'm going to Portugal next week, but it's for something else. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you also about a part of the project that I think is mostly online. Um, I think it's called Estudo do, do Mayo. Do Mayo. Estudo do Mayo. Um, that's something that I encountered before I went there. At some point, I was kind of checking the, the Tumblr. And um, they are, I would say, profiles or, or interviews, actually, with um, also employees there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind to introduce that quickly? Yeah, Studio Mayo is a series of five interviews. Um, I mean, they would, this was like, you know, it's very, uh, it was inspired. They were made throughout 2020 and 2021. Um, this was right after George Floyd's assassination, because in that summer also then a Portuguese act actor, um, a black Portuguese actor was also killed in broad daylight uh, by this old guy. And he was just yelling, fascist stuff uh, on on to him it was very it was very tragic and he was gunned down on broadway in broadway light in lisbon and yeah i think you know like it was just a moment of intense conversation amongst our peer groups and um and also a lot of frustration from this the same peer groups um not being able to kind of um just articulate uh or 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 you know or just stand for what they really say and I, again looking back at the store i just thought you know what can we do uh, to kind of just you know 
I'm just to mark this moment also. And um, the shop is, it's an immigrant on, it's an immigrant family owned business. My parents are from China. We opened the store and, you know, it's a very contentious place because we, um, you know, we are just accused of stealing the economy, which is very abstract, you know, or, or that we are just doing weird uh, human trafficking behind. It's like these sort of like urban myths that, you know, circulate every day and, our staff members in a way are kind of our first line of defense because our customers say that to them, you know, and they, and they have to deal with that. And I know that, I mean, we know this for many years and, you know, they kind of just always shrug it away as like, well, this is just us being all backwards and, you know, that's life. But I just thought this could be a good moment to have all these stories then on paper and, and this, and so the interview series kind of raises questions about, uh, racism in, in the work in the working in the working environment, which is the store. Uh, what's their relationship with um, with racism? Because four of our employees are Portuguese natives. Um, you know, I think within the common language they would call themselves white people in a way. But if they were not introduced to that language, they would just call themselves Portuguese. You know, so I think I just wanted to kind of um, um, expose. Uh, expose these dynamics of the store through their point of view and and i think reading these interviews you and i hope i hope the reader will understand that they that you know i think education uh family background personal wealth and all these things there's they're intertwined and in the portuguese context um lots of these people they still have relationships with uh, not, not relationships, but they still have a direct link with uh, the dictatorship that ended in '74. Most of their grandparents, you know, were born before that time. So this kind of this this event in Portuguese history is still very contemporary and very present in daily life, but without speaking about it. You know, they have direct family ties with so many people in that country, and yeah. So I think it was an opportunity to kind of just excavate and have. Um, have have the staff speak about it and from a personal point of view um and you know and just being vulnerable enough vulnerable enough to just say that maybe they don't really know what's going on with this general conversation that they don't know what is anti-racism but they do have their own personal ethics and you know that somehow um they kind of respond more to a, 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 let's say, I mean, hard to say this way, but I'll just say it. It's, they kind of respond more to a very outdated understanding of humanism, but yet, but then it also shows that then maybe the, the humanist project was always incomplete anyway, you know, it was always missing perspectives. It was always missing, um, uh, um, um, like a broader, uh, understanding of the human to begin with. So it's just like, um, so I, I just hope that it's just documented. I, there was not necessarily any aim to have them say something specific. Uh, it was just like uh, to have this moment registered. And I think the most interesting interview, although I think everyone uh, ended up, I think everyone ended up kind of tracing a very, um, a direction for their own interview. So I remember Fabio was talking more about his his grand granddad who um who kind of fought in the war or Sophia was talking about this uh this 
a scandal. Well, she called it a scandal. Something that happened at school. She she went she 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 went through this um, sort of um, vocation school, which is very which in Portugal is considered like inferior. But in, and she went to this vocational school, which is uh, which is largely um, which has a bigger um, student like a, a big part of the student body is mostly ethnic minority people. And she just witnessed this moment where. I think an um, an Afro Portuguese student was being bullied uh, by just like a white girl, a white Portuguese girl, and um, and he was very. Uh, she I think she was very frustrated to see that nobody really did anything, and she also didn't know what to do, and and yeah, it was very uh, it was very eye opening also for me at least to have them articulate these things. Um, um, and then you have along along the Chinese uh, our Chinese employee who kind of I asked similar questions and he kind of spoke this through uh, his own experience being someone from a village in China and being discriminated in in, a, in an urban environment in China and then like going into uh, this uh, he worked in a in fishing boats um, and just talking about you know the precarious working conditions. There's a moment he mentions about even people being thrown, just being, just, just having fallen overboard. I mean, it's a very tragic interview. That was that that interview was con conducted by my my sister because I don't I don't speak Mandarin. Um, so it was very um, yeah. So it was very uh, intense. That interview was very intense. And she's my over. I mean, I. I wanted to, if I have more time, I would love to kind of edit it to be a publication and share it uh, as a resource for public libraries. Um, I just haven't had time to really sit down and do it. But um, yeah, and the name Shudumayu is, um, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a subject in, during primary school in Portugal from year one to four, which so means like the study of the field like let's call it like field studies if you translate literally so it is this subject matter where you learn bits about geography bits about history bits about like natural elements like basic science stuff um yeah this is from year one to four in a portuguese school yeah mm -hmm. yeah so you can find these uh, as pdf also on the yeah. on the website and they come with a uh really thorough footnotes yeah yeah that footnote um i mean i'm uh yes uh it comes with, <laughs> with a very thorough footnote yeah i have to thank um our collaborator andrea Coutinho, andrea from from collective faca who i um she's a lisbon-based illustrator uh, and also run also is part of this collective and they do uh, mediation with museums um yeah she collaborated with us and um she helped out like kind of flesh out these um, terms uh, because race uh, in Portuguese is something that, I mean, even in the most, um, even in the most, um, uh, how'd you call it? Uh, I think in the most bigoted view, you wouldn't use the word race. Um, you would use ethnicity, for example, you know? So I think there are things that, especially in a, in a more, um, in a more Anglo-Saxon a discourse and if you translate that things get lost in translation and in a way it's kind of very scary to see the word race uh hasa kind of being being brought into main discourse now because it's you know it's sort of it kind of just it kind of just defeats the purpose of um of um um of anti-racist thinking if you're like now if if you start using the word 
race raça, which it's something that uh, in Portuguese you would use it for to describe different animal species and not necessarily ethnic differences in a way. And it's being brought up now in in terms of general discussion um, yeah, about think, racism, or yeah, I think so. I it's I mean it's uh, I don't blame anyone. I guess you know I think we're just all trying to grab whatever it's out there and trying to make sense of it. Um, usually, raça in Portuguese is written with uh, inverted commas, so there is always a sense of removal. So um, I guess in when we write when we, we when we read text in English, race is mostly just written. Without format, right? In Portuguese, raça is mostly written with like a inverted commas, as if it was a quote or if it was like something that is taken from some something else, uh, which is interesting on its own to kind of just look at it, maybe. But um, but it also so it also denotes that you know um, it's not real, which it kind of is superficially progressive, but then. But then you, if you read into it, um, you realize that you know it can it, it might not be real linguistically, but then they they certainly have a very racist um, understanding of ethnicity. You know they still separate it as um, has a hierarchical construct, which um, yeah, it's just not the same language. It just uses a different language. I would love to continue this conversation, um, but we are kind of running out of time, so maybe. Maybe it would be nice to mention the address of the gallery. Wow. Okay. So um, the <laughs> MIR is at the outskirts of Viseo. That's why maybe if, if if you drove through the highway, probably was you know you probably you drove through the national street, like the national road, and you know, like anyway, what we call the Strada Nacional, which is the the old highway. Um, yeah, it's in the outskirts of Viseo, in a place in um, in a suburb called. Well, not a suburb. What is that? It's like a parish called Abravis. Um, and the address would be Avenida Tenente Coronel Silva Simões, uh, <laughs> 146249. Um, yeah. Postal code 35151510 Portugal. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, I do want to ask you quickly mm. that we didn't have uh, time to address yet is um, that uh, you're uh, also an artist. And we mm. talked about it at the beginning. But uh, we were also curious to hear what um, Amayor kind of does to your practice. Um, if that makes sense, a very broad question. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the most simple answer to that is that Amayor just gives me an excuse to try out um, things that I can't, I don't feel as comfortable to try out in my practice because, you know, ultimately we're all controlling narratives. And I think the narrative currently in my practice is, is even though I try to keep it as generous as possible, it just doesn't allow for like a radical shift on uh, certain decisions. And MIR is a bit of like um, an excuse to do it without having to sign my name in it. You know, I mean, the things like modern family murals or whatever, there's things that I hope I can do them in my own practice, but I just was too coward to do it. But somehow doing it, it's not even coward. I think it's just also just lack of context, you know. And suddenly I think the context that we have built with MIR is something that can hold that gesture, you know, and not come across as cynical or ironic. And yeah, that's as an artist, that's what I take, you know. I think 
being in conversation with other artists, it also gives me a pretext to, to move my ass and actually talk to other artists and meet them and sit down and just learn from from them. And on a formal level, that's what I take also, you know, like um, a place where I can try out fun things uh, without having to think too much um, and just keep up and just keep up with that. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. No, thank you. Well, thank you, thank Andrea. You so much. Thank you, Arif. Yeah. Looking forward to visit Amayor. Get back a bit of my Portuguese. But <laughs> I lived there one year. <laughs> Avenida Teniente Coronel. Simões. <laughs> I can pronounce Simões. <laughs> no, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah.